Hi, I'm George A. Milton, America's Failure Coach. Welcome to the Failure is Not the Problem podcast. Listen, you know as well as I do that failure is a problem for most people. Why is that? In a single word, conditioning. Conditioning is simply training. You have been taught that failure has to be negative. I am here as your personal coach to help you relearn how to accept your failures and turn those experiences into positive mindset, change, and success. Look, motivation, empowerment, and inspirational stories, they're all well and good, but that's not what keeps us going. That's not what's going to change your life, and that's not what's going to move the needle in your health, your wealth, your happiness, your abundance, or your ability to be able to help other people make a difference. What keeps us going, what produces results in our lives is balance, not success alone. You have to develop a healthy balance between success and failure. It does not have to be one or the other. And when you can get yourself past the things that stop you and hold you back, that's when you'll thrive and that's when you will finally live a whole life. You'll be much happier. I will help you recondition your mindset by exchanging ideas and strategies to guide you in making transformation so that you can thrive. But most of all, I'm going to give you something every single episode which you can utilize to create change in your life. Failure is about learning how to embrace your challenges and taking 100% responsibility for your life. Do you want to elevate your perspectives with failure so you can change your mindset to accept failure as positive experiences rather than negative expectations? When you fail, it's not the end, but the ultimate beginning. At my company, Failure is Not the Problem LLC, our philosophy is failure fuels innovation, resilience, and growth. Learn how to embrace your setbacks as stepping stones to success. Learn, adapt, and triumph with wisdom of failure by your side. Join us in rewriting the story of success, where failure is the launch pad for greatness. How can we make failure okay to talk about while making it fun and failure-tastic? You need to laugh right? You need to learn when you fail. Don't always take your failures so seriously. Allow your failures to educate you on your next step of the journey of your life. Most of us know what fun is, but what is a failure-tastic moment? Well, I created that word and had it trademarked. A failure-tastic moment is when, you know, you go out, you try to accomplish a goal or become successful while pursuing an endeavor, but you face failure after failure after failure. Like when I was actually trying to break the seven-foot barrier in a high jump. Man, it took forever to get there. But instead of quitting, I never gave up. Because I never gave up, I accomplished not only that goal, but even more goals. Not only did I break the seven-foot barrier, I broke the seven-four-foot barrier. So accomplishing a goal such as that, some would say, man, that's fantastic. Nope, that's what I call a failure-tastic moment. Hello, everyone. I am George Milton, America's Failure Coach. Today, I want to introduce you to an amazing person, an outstanding buddy, and just a very good human being. Hey, Joe, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, George. Glad to be here. Oh, it's so good to see you. Gosh, I can't remember the last time we actually had an opportunity to visit and talk, and here you are on this podcast, man. And, uh, you know, I said, what, months ago, this is going to happen. Said months ago, I want you on the show, and here we are, right? I would say you, you made it happen. You're a man of your word, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I'm really excited to enlighten you know, the planet, man, and those folks who are out there in the listening ear about how to transform their negative expectations to positive failure experiences, Joe. I know, as I said a moment ago, you know, back in the day, dude, when we were having all these you know, different conversations about some of the challenges, not only 
we were seeing and experiencing with the work that you and I were doing together, but also just some of the things that were happening you know, within the confines of the country. But why don't we do this here? I know a little bit about you, but why don't you tell the audience a bit about your background and what you do to impact our planet, brother? Uh, we'll start from the beginning. I was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee, and you know, grew up there, went to high school there, actually went to Catholic school all the way through college, and went to the University of Xavier in Cincinnati, Ohio. So, you know, went to school. This part's important. I went to school for athletic training as my major, and now I am not in that field. I'm in construction management. But throughout all of that time, really enjoyed college, really enjoyed athletic training, enjoyed the experiences I got to have with it. And now because of all of that and because of what I did there, I'm now in the profession that I'm in now. And it's brought me and led me to George. And I met him, you know. So really fun. I really like, I like my home, but I like getting out and seeing new things and meeting new people. And then I just got a new dog. So that's anything else specifically. I don't know. I, I'm not too great with introductions. <laughs> Guys, he has this outstanding, this beautiful, oh gosh, beautiful Great Dane. I've seen a lot of Great Danes, but this one here takes your heart away. I believe his name is uh, Moose, right? Yes, sir. He gets he gets lots of compliments and pretty much the same thing. Everyone says he's like very elegant and just graceful, which yeah. I've been very happy with. I like to take some credit for the training, but you know, I know most of it's his temperament and uh, he's just a, a very calm, good dog. So it's been fun. Yeah, I'm going to refer to him as Moose the Monster, man, but he's a baby, that's for sure. Hey, Joe, look, as I said a moment ago, we've had many discussions. There's some serious topics, man, going on in our country and also you know, from our backgrounds and whatnot. But, you know, I've always been on this kick about trying to make this failure thing positive. And uh, I know a lot of people struggle with that. But I just want, you know, folks out there to just kind of listen to us and just uh, have some conversations about some of the things that failures actually helped us along the path. But I know that it's up to you with some things in life. But can you share just a specific instance where you faced a significant setback or failure and how you initially reacted to that? Yes. So, I mean, this is more of a, I considered myself a failure and this is something I had to work with and get through. But as I was talking earlier or mentioned, you know, I went to school for athletic training. I did four years of college for it. I did an internship and then I was in grad school for it. And during that time, realized that it's not for me, but it's what my parents wanted. It's what my uncle and my family, you know, what society says I should be doing is, you know, going to college, getting a degree, going into the field you go into. I really liked it because I got to help a lot of people. I got to meet a lot of people and I got to feel like I was doing something good for the most part. But halfway through my grad assistantship, I said, this is not for me. And I had to make the very tough decision to leave that program and leave that profession. And the whole time, I mean, it was, I thought I had failed my parents. I thought I had failed myself. I thought I had failed my uncle. I thought, I mean, I, I was letting my guys down, you know, the, the teams that I looked after. I felt like I'd failed them as an athletic trainer and as a person, someone they relied on. But through, one, talking with my parents and talking with some other people really, really helped me change that mindset of, look, you didn't fail. You know, you took a different path. And it definitely felt like a failure. And I think if you asked a lot of people at that university that I left, they would say I'm a failure. But now with the you know hindsight and just being able to really take a step back and look at it and realize I didn't fail at all. I accomplished what I think I needed to accomplish with that profession and my personal growth. And fortunately, was able to get out when I did and not you know make myself suffer to be a achiever or be not a failure. Look, I got chills right now, man. I'm telling you, 
I mean, I really do, because that's what this brand is all about. Exactly what you said. See, too often people have been taught that if there's an expectation that is put on us by others, if we don't accomplish that or seek that out, regardless of whether they're happy or not, then we have actually failed. And here's what I want folks to really understand is that when it comes to failure, changing direction in life is not failure at all. It's just changing direction in life, right? I mean, I think Dolly Parton said it best. You know, if you don't like the path you're on, make a new one. Make a new one. I love that. Who was it? My daughter was sharing with me that Alicia Keys had said something along the line. She said that if a door don't open, try again and open the door. That's how they work, right? I have to go to another door. <laughs> Let me just keep trying that one. <laughs> Perhaps you'll be able to get through. So yeah, cut another path. Go through that door, go through another door. It was absolutely success on your part because not doing something that others want you to do, right? It's not fair at all. I mean, because too many people are miserable today and are failing themselves, Joe, because- I think, that, no, doing- I think that's really a distinction of failing yourself versus failing others. And- Again, you're not failing others. At the end of the day, you're failing yourself, you know, because again, you're making yourself miserable. You're doing all this stuff. And that's the situation I was in. I was like, oh, I have to do this to be a success. And this is what I'm supposed to do and all of these things. But then at the end of the day, if I'm not happy, I'm like, well, then why am I really doing this? And, you know, why would I keep doing it? But we're conditioned to do that. That's really unfortunate, huh? What lessons did you learn from that failure and how they influenced your approach to, you know, challenges since then? I think it's really challenged me to, Take a step back in the heat of the moment with almost anything we're doing. You know, if there's something you do perceive as a failure, it's kind of a, as you said, hardwired in there from everyone else of what we think of failure. So in the moment, you have that very uh, natural reaction, you know, pain or grief or sadness or something like that. And, you know, after you take a step back, that's when you can really take that time to be like, okay, well, why was I feeling that? And then really put thoughts to those emotions of, well, why was I feeling the grief? Why was I feeling upset? And then, you know, get to the bottom of that. Because at the end of the day, it's not, I don't think it's really whatever the failure was that's really bothering us. It's how we perceive it to other people and how we look on the outside versus what we actually feel on the inside. You know, I was very okay looking bad, per se, on the outside from what I did, knowing that I felt much better and knew that it was the right thing for me. Whereas I feel like most of our failures come from, the opposite. It's like, oh, that's fine. I'll look bad on the inside and feel bad on the inside as long as I look good to everyone else because then it feels like a success still. It's just challenged me to, one, appreciate where I am and how I got there, and two, to be able to take a step back from a situation and try to process my feelings and emotions and, and perceptions of everything that's going on a little bit easier than just getting emotional or hot-headed and, you know, just blowing up, you know? So it's definitely helped me uh, regulate and kind of calm down and just be like, look, you know, everything happens. And once it's happened, it's happened. There's no going back. And I think that's something that's really tough for people as well. It's like, well, if I had done it this way, if I had done it this way, if I had only done this, well, unfortunately, we can't go back and redo that. So it is just coming to accept what our actions were. And then, yeah, it kind of helps me accept the actions for the past and realize what brought me to this point and where I need to change to get to the point that I want to go to. You know, when you were talking, Joe, I was thinking about um, our similar paths from an athletic standpoint and how those kids that you were an athletic trainer for. Well, look, when I was in college and we had folks such as yourself who, I mean, are tending to every, you know, little ill that we actually had from the standpoint of making sure that we were healthy and doing the kind of things we're supposed to be eating and dressed and those kinds of things. Athletic trainers are some of the most important people on athletic teams, guys. I mean, they don't get a lot of glory, that's for sure. But boy, behind the scenes, these guys are working hard. 
get a lot of things done. And what's really interesting is that they have an interesting bird's eye view into who athletes are, how they respond, what they do behind the scenes, as opposed to on the field, on the basketball court or the baseball dominant and all of that. So, Joe, from your perspective as an athletic trainer, man, what were some of the, the challenges that you actually saw these kids actually enduring? I know, you know, from being an athlete myself, right, the pressure that I was under to succeed and not accept failure on any level was intense. I mean, it was so intense that, I mean, sometimes it was just almost impossible to even breathe. Could you kind of share a little bit about that? I think it's the biggest thing at the end of the day with what, obviously there's the sports issues. There's, you know, not performing my best, you know, not getting a good right sleep. There's tons of things that go into that. You know, you're worrying about coaches' expectation. What, where am I falling in the lineup? Am I going to play? Am I not going to play? Am I going to travel? You know, there's all of those challenges and whatnot with their sport. But one of the biggest and toughest that people always forget is they are student athletes. And not just students, they're kids. I mean, I felt like a kid when I was there. I was 23 and I'm, you know, in charge of the health of some of these students who are 18, 19, 20, 21. At the end of the day, it's really easy to lose sight that there's a person with emotions and other goals and other feelings and other things they want to do in life besides whatever their sport is or whatever, yeah, whatever their sport is. So it always bugged me, especially when I'm sitting in the stands on the bench or whatever. Come on, just make a free throw. You know, it's not that hard. All of this stuff, you know, all these people who feel so entitled and think they can just say whatever they want to say and they have the right to because they watch and it's entertainment. But man, at the end of the day, I'm like, that is an 18 year old kid out there who's got a thousand other things on his mind as well, you know, and especially, you know, with the populations that I work with, a lot of the struggles they have is with family and their upbringing and their background of, is my mom all right? You know, a lot of them get some type of stipend. I can't tell you how many people I knew were sending a lot of that stipend back to their family. So, so many real world issues where they get overblown because of sports and everyone thinks sports is so important and sports is the most important, where at the end of the day, I try to help my athletes realize that sports are just sports. We're people, there's a lot more to it than playing sports. But like we kind of touched on as well, you know, their whole identity from probably five or six years old to now has been playing sports, especially specialized in a sport for probably six to seven years at least. So they very much are wrapped up in the, I'm a tennis player, I'm a basketball player, I'm a football player. And a lot of them don't know how to cope with that after college because, you know, only so many people go pro and a lot go pro in other things. And I wish that part got emphasized a lot more. They go pro in other things and do a lot of other good things and take what they learn from the field because I love sports and I think they're great learning. They really teach people how to work with each other and just figure out who they are a little bit. You know, when push comes to shove, am I going to be able to do it? So I really love sports, everything that goes with it. But at the end of the day, I try to help remind, especially my athletes, but other people that they're people and they're not just people. They're usually kids. It's crazy. I'm to that age now. I'm 28, about to be 29. I'm to that age where I'm seeing, you know, rookie NFL players, 21, 22. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so young. That's so young. I mean, I'm right there, but I mean, that's, it's crazy to me that they get put under that pressure and that spotlight and everything else that comes with it, that responsibility. And people just expect them to know how to deal with it and be perfect all the time. You know, they expect perfection and success all the time. So I definitely think after college and even in college, you know, when they do make that mistake, that's maybe a bigger one in their heads or something that they shouldn't have. They really feel it. It's much harder for them to find that grace within, you know, sports and their organizations or from the coach or something like that, because there's always, you got to be perfect. You got to be perfect. So 
it's nice, it's sad, but it's nice that a lot of those issues would come to athletic trainers or come to someone that isn't expecting them to be 100%. You know, someone who, who knows them and loves them and wants them to do well, regardless of sports and regardless of how well they do in sports, just to have that connection. And it's really nice that they trust us in that aspect. And we hear, like I said, you got bird's eye view. We've got, we know what the coaches are doing, we know what the doctors are doing, we know what the kids are doing. And then unfortunately, we know a lot of what the kids are doing from other people just in the training room. It's like the water cooler for sure. So I think some of the biggest struggles are just, just being a kid and having to deal with a lot of these burdens that other people are placing on them, like you said, where it's a little bit unfair. But again, they know what they're getting into and it's all worth it in the end if it's done right. But I also think it could be very detrimental in the end if it's not done right. You know, I feel like there's a lot of people that come out of sports, especially college sports with, you know, unfortunately eating disorders, low self-esteem, a lot of these other things because there's just really bad coaches and bad coaches are bad leaders in my opinion. Yeah, that leadership thing is a major issue for me, right? Whether it's coaching or whatever the case may be, because at the end of the day, it's all about leadership. Everything we do, good and bad, is really about leadership. I tell you, man, I identify with everything you said from the athletic perspective. I mean, growing up in the environment I grew up in, having a little talent, I thought I'd be a professional football player. I mean, I just did. I mean, I was, um, uh, you know, raised in an environment where the only option that I had to really, you know, make headway in anything was, you know, that of an athlete. So that's why I focused most of my time. I mean, I, books, man, please, comic books, okay, got it. Outside of that, no, wasn't interested in that sort of stuff because I was going to be a professional football player. You know, in high school, the army recruiters are always sniffing around, man, trying to find, you know, prospective recruits and that sort of thing. So I ran away from those guys like a scalded cat. But because I was a part of, uh, you know, the athletic field and these kinds of things, you know, in college and folks thought, wow, man, you know, he's a good athlete. Well, the recruiters thought that also, not only in high school, just college as well, but because my academics weren't all that hot, you know, failed out of six colleges and university, ended up in the army anyway. But what was really interesting for me is that everything that I had learned through athletics, through leadership and all of that prepared me for the military. So it was weird how that actually worked out and did you know reasonably well you know, in the military. But there's a positive and a negative where it relates to this failure thing that folks you know, were to look at it from their perspective. But if they looked at it from my perspective, from the failures, not the problem perspective, there's only positive, right? Because failure at the end of the day, when you look at success, the success model and the failure model. You learn way more from your failures than you ever did from your successes. But this win, win, win only mentality that you were alluding to a moment ago actually you know, puts that sort of pressure on us and it makes us feel like we're not worthy. And if there's any value that's associated with us when it comes to failure, it's only negative value. I really like that. And that's something like, you know, like I was saying, once you get that step back from whatever you're, you're saying is your failure, perceiving as the failure, like I think I learned more about myself from, okay, you know, I, I did this. I said I was going to do this and I did this. I went to college. You know, I, I said I was going to be an athletic trainer and work with teams. I did that and I was successful with that. And I did a lot of these things. So I'm like, why am I, why do I feel like a failure at the end of the day? If I, you know, so the more I was able to look back and go through my, I did this, I did this, I did this. All of these things allowed me to do this. And once I did that and it was like, look, I wouldn't have the friends I had. I wouldn't have the relationships I have. I wouldn't be the person I am today without all of those trials and tribulations. And again, without quitting and feeling like that failure, because I, I never would have self-reflected on that if I just kept going and going. But having done that self-reflection, it definitely told me a lot about myself. And, you know, I was like, well, why am I being successful in this now? 
it just helped bridge the gap of, oh, I have a lot of different skills that I didn't even know I had until I had to think about it and realize why I was successful in other things and, and how I can use those, even though I feel like I failed to do something else and move on and be successful in something else. Wow. Wow. You know what? You had me think about something here that uh, I was reading that long ago. And it was uh, the TR1 transistor radio back in the you know mid-50s was being developed by IDA and Texas Instruments. And what was interesting about this article is that when these folks were trying to put together, which was, I mean, let's face it, the transistor radio, 1950s, I mean, this was technology that these guys were, you know, trying to put together. And, you know, the information in the article said that when they were going through this particular process, you had all these scientists and all these mathematicians and all of these people from various backgrounds that were focused on trying to make this happen. And what was interesting is that they would unashamedly risk almost anything because they were trying to figure out how to get this done. And what was even more important for me as I was reading this is that the verbiage said that during that time, they expected that there would be failure, right? They had the risk. I mean, they hadn't ever done this sort of thing. So the failure perspective that they had, right, was this. As the article said that when the scientists and the folks who were trying to come up with this technology, they did not penalize failure. Isn't that great? They didn't punish him, man, right? I mean, so in 21st century, people will not take risk. In fact, we're risk averse in almost area, especially when it comes to leadership, because we're worried about losing our jobs, worrying about you know what people are going to say, worrying about being penalized. But I want folks to understand, especially leaders, right, to understand that it's it's something in which we need to do to, to heal not only the world, but also the people that work with this workforce that we lead, is that we need to make failure okay. Right. I'm not saying revel in failure. That's not what we're talking about. You know, but when my experience has been when the army, right, allowed for us to fail, dude, we became creative. We became a lot stronger, a lot smarter, a lot better, free thinking. Right. The army was like, look, as long as you don't get anybody, you know, wounded or killed or seriously injured and that sort of thing, man, put it all out there because the way in which we go and we fight battles, they change on the battlefield. So we need to figure out how to be creative, even within the confines of you know, the corporate world or education or any of these things, it's time to make it okay to fail because when people fail and they're not going to be punished or penalized, man, they will amaze you at some of the you know, projects that they come up with and how they save the company's monies and these kinds of things. And, and just some of these plays, there's been tons of times when soldiers on the field, I can tell you right now, athletically speaking, there's been times when we were on the field, the coach would call a play. We would see, hey, hold on. That's not the play that we want to the run, right? And you change up the play. And we wouldn't worry about the angst on the sidelines because the coaches are worried like, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? And the play was successful because we were on the field playing. We actually saw that, right? So for us, you know, on that field, in that corporate room, in the military, in order for us to thrive and become all that we can actually be, it's important that we make it okay for folks to fail. You ever had anyone that you worked for that made it okay to fail as, as opposed to punishing you or was it just the opposite? That is a good question. I, I don't know if it was ever, ever, you know, stated if you're going to be punished if you fail, but it's, it is that mindset already of, okay, well, if I fail, then I might not, you know, I might not make it to the next level. Or if I fail, I might, they might think I'm stupid and, and not want me at their company or something like that. But I think, I mean, I feel like most of them, other than my first internship working with the football team, where they immediately kind of ingratiated me into the staff and made me feel valuable and really made me push myself into a different comfort zone. Because if you're always comfortable, that means you're really not taking risks or anything like that. So to push yourself and for someone else to kind of push you into that really is really 
really nice. That's it shows to me it shows good leadership of hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna push like Mama Bird pushing around the nest kind of thing. Of uh, it's not a sink or swim, it's a just go do your own thing and it's gonna be all right. You know, do your own thing, figure it out. If it works, awesome. You got there on this certain way. If it doesn't, okay, you know what doesn't work now. Figure out something else. You know, it's never uh, that's what I think is really unfortunate with how people think of failures. Once you fail, it's you're done. People just think, oh, that's it. Done forever. Can't do it. And I think that's really unfortunate, especially like you're saying, if you really encourage that openness of trying anything, you know, I think I can't remember where I saw it, but it was a Reddit, but you know, first step to trying something new is usually failure. And if you just stop there, I mean, you're going to be a really boring person and have a really boring life because you're never going to step out of your comfort zone. You're never going to try anything new because you're just always going to say, oh, I'm a failure. I failed at it. It's like, well, man, how many of those rock stars, professional athletes, musicians, of these people were great? I mean, granted, some of them are. Some of them are musically talented, gifted. They are good at what they do. But a lot of them probably picked up a guitar, didn't know how to play failed at it for a little bit until they figured it out and then it's okay this is something i really enjoy and found a passion in it from failure because i feel like there's a lot, quite a few people there as well who's like i know i can get this i know i can get it but i can't i can't right now but i know i can i'm gonna keep going until i do and it just again like you said if it's that allowing to fail and, and really being open of that's fine you know, changing that perspective. It's important, Joe, I think, right? I, I didn't learn those lessons so much later on in life. And, you know, I mentioned earlier about failing, you know, a lot of classes and that sort of stuff in school. But I remember in every grade, specifically in college, man, just the pressure to succeed and to pass. And everybody was talking about his passing. Even my family, right? My family were more concerned about me passing on to the next grade instead of learning, right? So the pressure to pass was like, golly, what am I going to do? So I used to have this um, uh, this little, you know, you know, at last leech, look, I mean, even though we oftentimes talk about how our religious belief systems are important to us, we're also very superstitious. <laughs> all right, we have these little mantras that we go through or things that we say, you know, when we're trying to take a jump or get on the field because we, you know, we got to have some luck, you know, doing this sort of thing. But I remember being in the classroom and just sweating, man, trying to figure out how to take this exam. And I used to play a little game with myself. Uh, what I would do is I would say, I know what I know and I don't know no more, right? Yeah, because look, I knew what I'd studied. If the material that I'd studied was the exact same or similar materials to what the professor actually gave to us to take the exam, then I was going to actually be good. Because look, I mean, the professor gets a vote. He's not going to tell us exactly what's going to be on the exam. So you study everything and hoping that what you studied was actually on the exam. That's how kind of how a lot of this works. But even though I was doing that, I was so focused on passing that I would draw a blank, man, when I would actually saw the answers and the questions on the paper and that kind of stuff. But what was crazy is that after the exam, I would go and I would like, I know the answers. I'm like, why didn't I? But it was that pressure to succeed, that pressure, you know, to get a good grade. But when I would say, I know what I know, and I don't know no more. Dude, it freed me from all of that pressure. So I actually started passing. That was what was unique about that. So it's so freeing to be able to make it okay to fail, right? And when you do that sort of stuff, you empower people to become, you know, who they're supposed to be. Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of people might take that as a nonchalant attitude or something of, oh, well, it's fine if I fail. You know what? No, it's no. not that at all. It's uh, accepting of what you have and where you are to be able to get to where it is. And knowing that it's it's going to be okay. You know, I know what I know. I'm going to do my best. And at the end of the day, if I can do my best, then I'm okay with that. 
whether someone else thinks I'm a failure or not, it's about me. That's right. It really is. And it takes a lot of, it took me, I'll say, a lot of introspection to actually get to that point, to really understand that, look, you know what? All failure is, as Oprah Winfrey says, is an experience, man. And what we do with those experiences are really up to us, right? All failure is, all is an experience. And that's what we need to kind of focus. And we need to start at all levels, right? I mean, dude, I can tell you right now, I know of senior folks in positions of leadership and authority who struggle with that word, but they're leading thousands of people. And people would not know how much they are struggling with and challenged by that single word. And it's because they've not been given the freedom to, to fail and the freedom to you know, to come up with a transistor radio or the next technology. And in fact, we hold it over people's heads and threatening their jobs and threatening to penalize them and those kind of things. So I think it's time that not only do adults understand this, but we've really got to go back to the rudimentary piece of this and start teaching our children that it's really okay not to have to succeed all the time, right? Oh, I completely agree with that. I was thinking about that when you were talking about the okay to fail. And, you know, you really want to, you know, with our kids and with kids, it's, yeah, everything's new. Everything's an experience. Even if it's it's a fail, you know, oh, okay, well, that's fine. You experienced it, you know. It's funny that you say that because that's something I always kind of told myself with, like, with my athletic training. It's like, okay, well, I have to experience it before I know it is or it isn't for me. Whether that's a good experience or a bad experience, I am going to learn one way or the other what I'm going to gain and not get out of that situation. So I'm always about experiences. Life's about experiences. It's not about things. It's about being and experiencing and being out there. Don't knock until you try it. And I got to try it until I know. So I really like that. Yeah, a failure assessment. I hadn't heard that before. I really like that. Oh, thanks, Joe. Yeah, look, they don't call me Curious George for nothing, man. I've always been a very, you know, I was just always a curious kid. I think one of the reasons I am so caught up in this, you know, this failure issue is because I've struggled with failure and had a lot of them along the way. But I just always thought that if everybody is traveling in one direction, I'm going in the other. And I've known what failure has actually done for me in terms of how it's gotten me from where I was to where, you know, I was meant to be. And, you know, people always say, you can be anything in this life if you, you can be this, you can be, no, dude, you can't be anything. Now, you can be a lot of things, but this this false hope and this false promise of telling people that they can be anything, man, you know, as you said earlier, is that some of these kids, when they hit that roadblock and they realize they're not going to be pros, it devastates them. It really almost ruined their lives. But for those of us who understand that, you know, failure and not accomplishing those goals is simply, you know, just another path, perhaps, that you need to be on in terms of a journey, right? Absolutely. And I think in that kind of scenario, just when you do hit that roadblock, you forget about everything that you did to get to that point. And it's stupid. You know, you get there and all of a sudden it's like you hit the wall and then there's nothing behind you. There's nothing in front of you. You're in this void of, oh, what am I doing? What am I doing? Where it's, there's a whole road behind you of accomplishments and, you know, good things and, and good experiences. And, and what you did to get there isn't discounted by the end result. That is powerful, right? Because everything that we have done makes us who we are, right? Good, bad, right, wrong. Man, what great introspection. But a lot of folks, they don't see it that way. All they can focus on is what they've been, you know, beat down with is, you know, if you don't accomplish this next task and forget about all the rest because this is who you are. It really isn't. You're a compilation of all those experiences and whatnot. Look, I noticed you're in a leadership position there. And uh, dude, let me tell you, I love the way you lead your, your team. You know, for those that don't know you, can't really see you, I know that you have this mild, you know, gentle spirit about yourself. But brother, I tell you, you're a tough one too, man. Sometimes people mistake your kindness for weakness. And it is a show of strength. And I really admire that quite a bit. You know, in the Army, people always think that you have to yell and scream and, you know, to get results. And, and, and you really don't. 
And I love the way you do that with your team as well. And and I say that to ask this question is, you know, how do you communicate the lessons you've learned from failure to your team, your colleagues or, or the followers in a way that inspire and empower them to move beyond where they are? Well, I really think one one thing I try to do is one, lead by example, and two is be open with my experiences and what got me here today, whether it be the good, the bad, the success, the failures. Everyone's got a different path to get where they need to go or where they want to go. and they don't all look the same. Rarely do they look the same. And I also, I've never wanted to be that guy that has to yell and demand and all these things. In my opinion, if you're demanding it, you're just telling somebody what to do. You're not really leading them. You're not, you know, a leading is getting them to want to do the right thing, do the right thing, and do a good job because they want to and because it's good, but also not because of fear of repercussion. Obviously, in my life of work, there is repercussion for some things. But at the end of the day, some people get, they get so worked up. Oh, you know, you know, I messed up. I did this. I'm like, look, man, at the end of the day, it's a piece of wood. We cut too short. We got to cut it again. Or, you know, there's, it's just, it's really simple. And it's like, they get so worked up over what could happen versus what happened. What's the easiest way to fix it and move on. So I definitely think leading by example, something I saw actually, I think it was like yesterday that I really liked and I'm trying to kind of incorporate things need to be managed, people need to be led. And I was like, I never even thought of that. I was like, yeah, that's like, if you're micromanaging and managing people, then your stuff's not running right. And you need to kind of take a step back and figure out how to get your team and everyone else to to really just work smoothly without having to do that and without having to feel like you have to do that. I get frustrated when I have to step in. I'm like, I want people to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, and it's like, man, you know what you're supposed to be doing. Let's do it. Like, let's make everyone else's life easier. Let's, so when somebody isn't doing it and I do have to step in and, and take, you know, take some action or, or speak with somebody, I don't want to, but I have to because it's going to make everyone else better and it's going to make them better and it's going to make the project run more smoothly. And, and it's necessary because they also know, okay, I can't just sit back and relax. I, I need to be productive. I need to be doing things. I'm here for a reason. It's not to goof off. But I think the best way, like I said, is, is leading my example. And then, yeah, just being open. And one, listening to them. Because I'll be the first to say, I am not a master electrician or a master plumber. So when they, you know, when they ask, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Like, well, from my knowledge, I think it should be done this way. Does that make sense? And they're like, well, yeah, yeah, it does. I'm like, okay, but you know a lot more about this. So what do you think? And how do you think we should do it? And can you explain that to me in a simplified version to where I can get it? And if you can, then I think let's do it. Because if I can understand it and, and then they're okay with it as well, then let's go with it. Because you know what you're talking about and you know what you're doing. So a big part of that is, yeah, is listening as well. Because sometimes, it, I will say there has been a few times of they think they know the best because they have that knowledge. And it's I just kind of poke in, I watch and let them think it through. And then I'm like, well, what if we did it this way? Oh man, I've never thought of it that way. Okay, yeah. And so I have to listen so they have that trust of listening to me and wanting to listen to me and not, I guess, fearing or like never want to lead out of fear, which again, I don't think it's leading if you are doing it out of fear. I think you're just fear mongering at that point. But so yeah, I think listening and being open and then also just kind of being the best person I can be out, out on the job site. And again, I did this with my athletes. I do this with my workers. It's a job. At the end of the day, it's a job. There's a lot of other important things that are out there, and there's a lot more important things going on in this world than what's happening right now on this job site. So trying to keep some perspective of, hey, it's all right. Everyone makes mistakes. We're going to get there. 
and just learn from it. And I think that's the other thing is if you do make a mistake, don't let it happen again, but don't let it happen again because you were, you know, or you weren't thinking, but just actually take some time, take a step back. God dog, dude, that is hot, man. Right. I, I, I just, I just, look, I like that so very, very much. I mean, I do. I like everything that you actually said. I mean, typically I, I always try to find areas where I can push back. So wait a minute, hey, what, what about, but, but you know, I'm on track with what you're saying, man. And if we could actually get to a point to where people can literally, you know, follow through on the things that you've actually said, I think people would be a lot better off than what they were if they just focus on the successes because everything that we are is all of the things that we've experienced. Not only our successes, but primarily our failures. Joe, look, man, I want to thank you so much for being on this show. Golly, dude, we're going to have to do this again. I would say absolutely. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, I, I love this. I love the energy that you, you brought. I, I am warning folks out there to remember that, you know, you know what? Failure is not the problem. It's really how you respond to those failures. Joe gave several different examples of things that you could actually do to become successful through the failures, you know, listening to folks, being accepting of folks, not only wanting to win. And remember, when it comes to whatever it is you're doing, man, it is what it is, right? Do the best you can and try, try to move on from that. Well, Joe, thank you for being a part of this, sir. Well, thanks for having me, George. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Failure is Not the Problem podcast. If you enjoy what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas, or you might want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at georgeamilton.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the other side.